Hi, and welcome to Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, highlighting artists, teachers, authors, and philanthropists of the regenerative movement. My name is Julian Guderlei. I'm your host and creator of the Green Planet, Blue Planet podcast, and I'm committed to a world that allows people from all walks of life to thrive. Also, recently, we launched a Patreon. Go make sure to check it out. It's in the show notes. Um, and today's guest is going to be Roxy Shohadai. Roxy is the founder and CEO of HAP Ritual. She's an interdisciplinary designer, experiential producer, artist, and a creative doula working at the intersection of art, science, experience, and technology to catalyze social and systemic change through inclusive transdisciplinary collaborations for the regeneration of our planet and our culture. Her path is grounded in a commitment to creating inspiring and embodied ways of learning together. She's the director and architect, architect, I should say that right, architect uh, of the Design Science Studio. So welcome with these words. Welcome, Roxy. Thank you, Julian. Excited to be here. Yeah, I stumbled over this word because it's such a great one. Architect. Let's start right there. You are an architect that creates art primarily. <laughs> yeah, I didn't study architecture technically, uh, but I am architecting structures for art in the world and creative flourishing um, and creative translation primarily. Yeah, that's powerful. I think, you know, when I think of architecture, I'm often a little disappointed in how uncreative and square box it has has been on this planet and how much we've inherited from that. So the, the word art and architecture mixed, that's, that's kind of a big craving of mine is like creative solutions to many of the, the challenges we face and creative artistic solution that allow more people to express themselves. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I, um, I studied with Regenesis the last few years. I'm still studying with them. They're uh, an organization that has uh, different courses on regenerative development and design. And what I found when I did my uh, regenerative practitioners program, uh, which was the first program that I did, I'm in a different one now, was that there were a lot of architects. And I was very pleasantly surprised that there are so many architects studying regeneration and how we can... Uh, really use the tools of regenerative design to, sh to flip the script on architecture. And also a lot of them aren't typical practicing architects. Um, they're really thinking about architecting the mind, architecting spaces, um, and that is beyond the physical. So I felt, I think part of that sort of steeped into this, this title <laughs> of architecture. Very nice. Tell us a bit more about the Design Science Studio and what you're building with the DSS right now, you know, I'm part of the first cohort. I know it's a decade long program. Maybe great to, to share this up front. And um, in this first year, there's 144 of us coming together to really bring design and science into kind of a cohesion. And, and I love what you started there. I love the cohort. I love what's happening. Um, even though as the first cohort, we're probably, we're probably guinea pigs, um, but I'm, I'm curious to know more. And I know you have a, a little presentation for everyone who's watching the video. Um, yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Sure. So I'll tell you about the studio and, and maybe after we can talk a little bit about the origin of it. Uh, so yes, we thank you. I'm so grateful and excited that you are in our first cohort of a decade long program. And uh, the Design Science Studio is uh, a program of Hub Virtual, my creative studio and the Buckminster Fuller Institute. Uh, and at its heart, it's an educational incubator and accelerator for the art of the Regenesis. And so uh, what we call the Regenesis, I think it's important to kind of flip the script a little bit uh, to talk about kind of the difference between the Renaissance and the Regenesis, because like a lot of times people are like, what does that mean? So since it's here, uh, I will I will speak to it briefly. So as, as many of us are familiar, not everyone, but I, I went to art school, so I definitely studied it. Um, you know, the Renaissance was this like critically influential cultural movement, which brought about a period of scientific revolution, political and economic rebirth and transformation through art at the dawn of modern European history. And creators were really funded to focus all of their energy on their craft. Um, and this Renaissance period promoted the rediscovery of classical philosophy, literature and art as a pivotal tool for social and systemic change. Uh, and in history, it marked this transitional period between the end of the Middle Ages and the start of the modern age. And so 
the Regenaissance um, is kind of this regenerative Renaissance. And it's coming, the, this mashup of this new word is really coming from this place of seeing how interdisciplinary art and through interdisciplinary art, we can transform our path forward, regenerate our culture, our planet, and our relationship with the living world. And we really see that there's the power um, in this, in art and design as a cross-cultural technology and language for systemic change. And so that's kind of where the um, Design Science Studio um, Genesis came, came is um, one of the rooting kind of uh, factors of it. And yeah, that's, that's a powerful place to start. Let me just jump in there for a second. Yeah, I feel no, like the word, you know, regenerative and then the word renaissance, um, you know, they, they, they go together so well. And this is, you know, what I've been uh, intending to capture since the beginning of this podcast journey as well is like, who are the individuals, the collectives, the groups, the organizations, the artists, the entrepreneurs that are committed and understand that you know, environmentally fit or sustainably uh, inclusive didn't quite really make, make the cut. And I mean, everything is just words until we look at the actions associated with it. But the regenerative piece is the piece of nature's inherent um, kind of um, brilliance, right? Like the miracle implicit within nature is that there's regeneration happening. And so us creating from that place is almost like the next logical step. And I love the, the, the arc all the way back to the Renaissance time because really truly a cultural movement can only start by the people. Yes. And, uh, and I think that, you know, there's, there's such a, we're in this really yummy and challenging time. Uh, and the studio was kind of born to empower these global creators to imagine this regenerative future. And, and that can help ignite conversation, um, catalyze inspiration and action globally to help lead the transition to a world that works for 100% of life, which is so much of the, the root of, of the, the studio, right? Whenever you signed up and you decided to register and say yes, but we warmly accepted you into the cohort. Um, one of the, the key things that you had to say was like that you would align your work, that your work aligned in some way with making a world that works for 100% of life. And so um, that, that is, uh, it's an honor to help be um, the part of, part of a, a bigger system to support bringing together uh, a, a global community of creators in this time of such upheaval. Um, and radical system change, right? Where this pandemic has given us such a bright light and illumination on all of these decades of over-industrialization, the separation from nature and, and othering of other cultures, other ways of being. Um, and, and like through the separation and the illumination of the inequity that is embedded in the way that we operate, um, it's also showing us that this is, these are some of the primary root causes of, of environmental degradation and inequity and poverty and illness. And, and so we're in this like really rich time. Uh, and in the same period, right, there's this like deep inspiration that's coming about in this, in, in people like you and in this broader movement globally, uh, as everyone's questioning all of these systems that are crumbling. And, and people are weaving a new narrative that is actually interwoven with nature and isn't leaving anyone behind because it's just, we know that we have literally everything that we need to take care of everyone. And we have more than what we need to have a world that works for all. Um, but our systems aren't set up to support that. And so, you know, the studio is like trying to help propel and create um, more coherence uh, globally uh, through supporting and uplifting a creative community as a part of this movement to, to help articulate this possibility of a healthy planet through this decade-long mission of nonviolent design-led creativity expressed revolution. And it's a, it's a response and it's our responsibility, our ability to respond, and it's built, it's built to to um, build the capacity of our creative community to feel tooled up and 
able to connect with this mission um, and the other organizations, initiatives, uh, and individuals who are who are shepherding a way forward uh, through their creative expression, and that like is super vast as you've seen, right? But one of the things I wanted to quickly respond to that you just mentioned before getting into who's in the studio is the story that you were speaking to. You were saying like, you know, when we look back to the Renaissance and we're thinking about it now, like the the story, the narrative, um, and the people are really what helps propel change. Uh, And there's really powerful examples uh, that we can look back to as far back as, you know, Guernica and that one, you know, which was possibly Pablo Picasso's most famous work. It was a super powerful political statement, uh, an immediate reaction to the Nazis devastating, devastating casual bombing practice in the vast town of Guernica during the Civil War. And the tour of this piece of art helped to bring the Spanish Civil War to the world's attention. And it became this mark of humanity. And the message is still understood by people all over the world. Um, but it, it showed what art, protest art, can do to help bridge together collective understanding. And we see this now, like most recently, I think um, one thing that we've all been in many ways, like I'm humbled and privileged to feel that I got to be a part of the current Black Lives Matter movement that is alive and thrive, like happening day in and day out in, in America where, where I live. Um, and I, you know, through a minute and a half long cartoon, I learned deeply about what systemic racism really meant. Even though I thought I understood it, it like transformed my understanding. And that was through an animation, right? And, you know, there's other examples like the designated driver campaign. That one is a really good one. It was a from a Harvard University partnership with film studios. And because they introduced it in film, then like it's it ended up saving thousands and thousands of people's lives. So it's interesting to think about how art can change history. And, uh, and so we're committed to helping support that through the studio. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it, this, this sparks so many different, you know, um, kind of pathways of the, the mind of how I relate with to art. And I think how everyone listening relates to art. Art has this transcendent capacity to literally actually help us stop taking ourselves so serious, reflect, step back, see it from another person or another being's perspective through an animation, through a painting, through uh, a statement piece and suddenly be like, oh, wow, well, maybe maybe it is time to move on or maybe it is time to change the perspective or maybe it is time to you know, step back from our current systems and understand how could they actually support all of life. Art has this like something extra special that allows us not to get lost in the mind's voice of reason and right or wrong, but to, to instantly kind of reflect. Yeah, it brings about this sense of wonder and um, this like full embodied experience. Um, my, the roots of my care for all of this, which is a little bit of a segue, but it's emerging, so I'll share it. Uh, I have always been an artist and like an academic and a total nerd and like a lover of the earth, like just cycles of that in my childhood, like reading encyclopedias and like making anything that I can make and like playing outside and just being with the earth as much as possible. And that really hasn't changed that much. But um, as I grew, I noticed that the educational system was not fully meeting the potential of how people learn. Uh, because we have so many different ways of learning, aesthetic, auditory, visual, um, through experience, shared experience. Like you can read a ton, but then all of a sudden you have a one hour long experience and something really sinks in. And it levels the playing ground when you share an experience as well. You're feeling together, you're learning together, and, and you're often in this state of wonder and suspended belief and and through that experience, whether it be as an individual with an individual work of art or through a shared collective experience, whether that be a workshop or a large scale interactive <laughs> art exhibit, who knows? But there is something different that can happen in that space. And so that's why I've really focused on that intersection of art and experience and how it can catalyze social and systemic change. 
through merging disciplines and helping people learn together and giving them that opportunity to, to access information in a new way that really has a more, it, it, it can reach more people. And through that, it like breaks down barriers of like the privilege of knowledge, which I think is for everyone. And there's no reason why um, it needs to continue to feel like this separate academic practice. And I know that you're, you're doing that day in and day out with this podcast and your mission in the world is like helping to transcend some of these barriers to, to knowledge and to just curiosity. Like curiosity is an incredibly important principle of regeneration. Like it, to, to, to be curious as designers, as creators, as individuals, as we move through this world, in a commitment to increasing the vitality of anything that we're moving into or with, of like, who is the larger system that what I care about is connected to? How connected am I to them? Is this thing that I think that I'm doing that's gonna be so great actually in resonance with what's needed? And can I be like curious and playful enough to continue to redirect the course and, and prototype and test so that I can really be in harmony with what really will support and uplift this mission. Yeah, I love that you're mentioning curiosity there. And, you know, curiosity and trust kind of go hand in hand uh, for me on that. For one, like leading with curiosity or being led by it, it's, it's, it's probably one of the most inherent gifts to, you know, the human consciousness or the expression of consciousness at a, at a large, because, you know, as children, we all have this so innate, it's so clear that, you follow your curiosity and as we're you know transitioning from children into you know teenage times and into adulthood often you know the the adults come up with this idea that now we got to take everything serious and there is no more playing and, and gaming and um curiosity uh, as, as our primary kind of you know um direction sign maybe but I, I i'd love to challenge that because i think almost everything in our life when we at least allow the perspective in and we allow the artistic expression to to be one of the valves of like releasing pressure or one of even the the bridges that connects us to you know what else is possible i think our iteration process would be a lot faster and what i mean with that is that right now in the world we're we're seeing we're having such a hard time letting go of dying a dying system a system that's clearly not work to you know um bring food and shelter and healthy water to every single person on the planet even though we know the resources and the capacity and the technologies are actually present and so i think this bringing it back to curiosity it's a great bridge builder to say well wouldn't it be curious if that is actually possible like what would it take for us to actually go sideways and accept the detour but then end up at like a quantum evolution of what was possible just a year ago Yeah, that's a lot of where I think the world game came from. I've been learning about the world game through, <laughs> through the studio. You know, Buckminster Fuller tried to see like, how can we make a game of this um, to help pique people's curiosity about, okay, we do have all the tools. Like what might we need to do? Speculative design is also a really good tool for this as well. You know, these, these different ways of frameworks of thinking that can help um, like beckon the curiosity out of people. And just like, there's like the possible, the plausible and the probable and as far as our futures go and just like kind of get out of what we think is probable and like lean into what might be possible, what the potential we see, even if we don't know how to get there and then figure out like often there's a, there's a really incredible group of artists. Um, there's a, they're a team and they're married uh, and they have a space called the Center for the Force Majeure in, um, I think it's in Santa Cruz, but they, they created some like speculative designs of um, these different landscape e ecological systems that would be more in harmony with and in tune with the natural systems around them. Um, and they were just speculating on what could be as far as our human um, models for the local um, building codes and just the way that like the structures were um, set up for our kind of government and human relating systems with the space. Um, so they created all these maps and these like potential ways of like ecologically kind of being 
um, more regenerative um, and some art about it. And a lot of it wasn't necessarily something they knew was possible, but because they made art about it and they created like a whole world about it, it actually led to um, innovation. And scientists looked into the possibility and now some of the things that they proposed that were not particularly probable um, are now possible and actually like sparked innovation and like a, a new way of, and there's like new building codes, new, new laws in place that were all kind of propelled through their creative exploration. And so it's always really like fascinating. Same for like, remember sci-fi, like the Jetsons, whatever. It's like, maybe that's not possible, but like, let's dream about it. And, and sometimes that actually really helps people kind of get out of what they can see because what we can see is so much built on like who we've been and where we've been and what we have seen fail and the suffering. And we're like, oh, we don't, I don't know if all this is possible, um, but it is. And often we just aren't able to see beyond what we know yet. Um, and it's a privilege. It's a, it's an absolute privilege. And it's not to be, I, I take it very seriously. Every day I wake up and I'm like, I am lucky that I am healthy, that I am safe, that I have a house, that I have the privilege to even care enough to create things that I see in my own heart as possible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of that came from just deciding. Like when I was young, I was, I mean, I'm still young, I'm 32, but when I was, a, you know, kind of transitioning out of high school and this became my mission in the world, I, um, I decided that I didn't want to adhere to the normal quote unquote way of approaching adulthood. And I said, I'm going to focus on the things that I care about and I'm going to figure out a way to really have that be my life. And I'm going to trust coming back to trust. I'm going to trust that the universe will conspire in my favor and I will be able to be successful in that as far as the, the success looks like in the world. I will be able to sustain myself and I will be able to do what I care about. And it, and it worked. And also like one of the principles, um, again, through Regenesis that I was studying as far as regeneration goes, since your podcast is so much about regeneration, was about building capacity in a system. And so when I shifted from, I've done a lot of large-scale immersive installations, both in cities and in land-based projects for over a decade, and um, worked with, you know, projects that bring in hundreds or thousands or hundred thousand people. Um, and it was at a certain point when you realize uh, that there's only so much you can do either as a leader, a collaborator on a project, but if you build the capacity in an entire system, then it can help itself. And so the studio was born of, you know, my, as I said, the, my creative studio have ritual, but also with Buckminster Fuller Institute and Amanda Ravenhill, who I know has been on the podcast. And is like such an incredible inspiration to myself, myself and so many. Um, we started working together eight years ago and nerding out and just being like, what can we do at the intersection of art and planetary stewardship together? And so we like did some design stuff, her and her partner, Ryan, Kushner and I, um, we created this thing called Ghosts of the Future, which was a haunted house that was like our foreseeable future if things don't change with like a solution space. And, and, um, and a, it was a full on haunted house with like strobe lights and actors. And anyway, so we've been trying to figure this out for a while, but in the space of this like eco anxiety, like what do we do? How do we help? Are we doing enough? Um, we had this like sort of visual, like if we stand on the tallest mountain with the loudest megaphone, we'll never be able to have as much impact as if we build the capacity of every single person to be able to do that themselves. And so that's, the studio is built from there. It's built yeah. from a place of supporting that. In that's, that's such a powerful story, Roxy, and I'm glad you shared uh, a few, you know, a few pieces of it. Um, and, and definitely let's dive in deeper into the mission of the studio as well. I, I just want to you know, reflect on what you just shared. What comes up for me is this like famous Steve Jobs quote that, you know, I'm, I'm only able to recite partially, you know, which is about seeing the red thread in retrospect. Once things happen, you're like, oh yeah, right. That's where that red thread went, you know, uh, left ways around and then connected me back with purpose. And so I think 
while we're doing, while we're acting, while we're, um, you know, learning to regenerate both soils and waterways and, and, and also our culture, our society, our systems, it's not always visible where that red thread is actually leading us. And so because it's not always visible and because it is about jumping off the deep end sometimes and, um, you know, learning as we're going through curiosity, that uncertainty is, is inherent in all of life, right? Like there's this famous Perma Chodron quote where, where she says, if you're looking for safety and security, you're on the wrong planet. And, and so because of that, I want to just, you know, really um, highlight what you said there. What I, what I was hearing is that it's all about the capacity building and the, the building the capacity to actually hang out in this almost uncomfortable space where we're going beyond the anxiety of our maybe climate related times and the anxiety of our eco, um, you know, the, the impact we had on the biosphere and our ecosystems over the last hundred years. And as we're leaving that anxiety behind, we're actually building capacity and resilience to say, oh, wow, this is quite the dire time in human history. There's a lot of forgiving that needs to happen. There's a lot of uh, reconciliation between cultures, between um, structures and infrastructures, between ways of seeing the world. And then the, the question comes up, like, what are we committed to? Are we actually committed to building a world together that works for everyone? Or are we just committed to um, continuing the, like, you know, the paradigm of enriching the self um, only? And, and, and so I think that capacity building part of it is something I just wanted to highlight one more time before we go deeper into the mission of, of the, the Science Science Studio, because when it comes to capacity building, well, how could we do that without trust? And we kind of started talking about trust already. So there's a question in there for you. And the question is, what does it take for you personally to allow trust in, to surrender into trust or to, to actively apply your trust in a project, in a collaboration to another individual or even maybe a, an entire mission? What does it take? Say that one more time. What does it take for you to experience trust? And you're saying with collaborators or in general? Well, that's totally up to you where you want to start answering <laughs> the question. Um, I, I could give you give you some 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 crutches to go into it, but but why don't you just um, maybe start yeah. general and then get specific? Yeah, I think what does it take for me to build to to establish trust? Well, to establish or better, better so to experience it, like to experience it, you know, oh. because, because once we're still questioning, am I trusting? Am I not trusting? You're not really truly experiencing it. And so you're not able to fully, right, right. you know, leverage all of your energy. And so I think this is a, a question that is um, well, a lot of people are, are not clear on, on how their trust actually works. And without it, yeah. we, we know we can't really build big capacity. For sure. You know, I think there's a few things that come to mind. One is um, either a written or unwritten set of, of principles. So kind of understanding that I'm in company that is in alignment with a way of being and communicating. Um, and I think that as a designer, um, my most successful experiences that I've created have been ones that have clear principles um, to support the community's coherence and uh, what we're stepping into. And when I think about like the experiences that I've personally had where I felt like the most comfortable and safe and trusting, uh, I immediately for some reason think of like festivals and you know those spaces like I don't know all the people who are there. But I know that people are there because they want to like, they're in a space of like deep presence and shared experience and celebration of life. And, and so in that space, that's kind of an unwritten, you know, set of, of um, not rules, but principles that feels like I can really like soften into it. Um, and that, that works across, you know, when I think about collaborations and teams as well. Um, but whenever I think about spaces where I don't feel trust, um, what comes to mind is, is um, 
there's this there's like also like a a felt sort of intuitive spiritual sense that I think you know it's something that we don't talk enough about um in culture and in our lives is a like an inherent part of, of how we operate but there is we have like a deep intuition that is embedded in our beings and our bones and our yeah, you know 100 yeah. and I think I think we get signals as well from the earth. I, there's this really cute image uh, that I recently saw and it was like a little, actually I'll, I'll try to find it and share it. There's this little guy inside the planet and he's like, a, he's like taking up most of the inside and then his little fingers are sticking up out of the edge of the earth and they like are, are appearing to be different. And it's like me, us appearing to be separate. And so it's like this inherent, like this dissolving of this, separation because we are you know part of one larger system and one larger body um as we know through guy and systems theory and that you know that's scientifically proven but also it's felt it's felt that we can kind of sense we can sense make through our beings and through our bones and so i think building trust um is a complex question but I feel it is the feeling of trust comes from this combination of either written or unwritten principles. I, um, at least for me, I'll speak for myself, um, an embodied kind of like sense of safety. Um, and then from there, I think, you know, play, there's some element of play that, that is also important. And, um, that like gives you there's like a trust that's built in to say like it doesn't have to be perfect the journey is the destination and, and through like a container that gives you the space to to be wrong and celebrate your 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 spaces where you can do better um and not like feel like you have to have it right um, then like, there's like more, there's more trust that's built. It's like, cool, this is something that we're collectively building towards. So I think to build that and to be a part of creating a space for that, it takes, it takes a lot of care and listening. Um, and, uh, and being open to really like course correcting and adjusting what's there and not just what you think you need to do or what you mm. think still look like but really being receptive that's a big one yeah the being receptive part that like having intuition finding ways to reconcile this with like the thinking mind the scientific mind and understanding it's actually like very much proven there's um the heart math institute talks a lot about the heart intelligence and the center of intuition the, the heart and you know scientific empiric data that prove that our heart has like um like literally a felt and experienced intuitive spark even before things happen and so yeah I, lo I love your answer there's it's a it's a big um topic trust and i think moving at the speed of trust is what replaces the you know desire to control and uh have power over and so that's why i'm on that pursuit of understanding what what does you know, how does trust happen in between people? How does trust happen for you? How does trust happen for me? And then how do, how do we, you know, build a, a society, but also just like subsets of society where, where we can trust each other. And because of that, when there's groups or cities or towns, entire towns trusting each other, now a lot more of that creative energy can come through rather than following just the old guidelines of what used to be possible in one of the yesterdays. But I know, Roxy, you have a bit more of, um, you know, about the, the Science Science Studio to share. And so I'd, I'd love to, you know, circle back into um, yeah. what's really emerging in, in, that, in that cohort. Perfect. Yeah, I think there's kind of two things that come to mind. Um, and I'll share, I'll, I'll keep telling you more about the, and, and all of your wonderful, uh, the audience, hello, whoever you are listening. Um, one, I just wanted to pin this quickly because we're talking about the design science decade. And um, there's one thing that you mentioned, which is this like period of reconciliation. And so the decade is, is built, uh, it, there was originally a design science decade from like 1965 to 75 um, that Buckminster Fuller 
proposed. Let's let's see how it, over the course of a decade we can like shift the tides to make the world work for everyone. And um, we've rekindled that through the studio. And we happen to be in this phase of reconciliation and commitment, which I think is quite um, ironic because the reconciliation has come up so much. And this is never meant to be didactic. It's meant to, um, or like, or it has to be this way. Um, it's more meant to be like a light framework to say like, okay, we're gonna have to kind of go through some different phases. And Amanda speaks to them very beautifully. Um, and I'll touch on them very lightly and go kind of go back to a broader context of the studio, but we'll, um, it, the, the essence of it is that, you know, there's, there's tools that we have when uh, we use design science, it comes from this kind of comprehensive anticipatory design science. So comprehensive being start with the whole, anticipatory being like, let's think ahead. Design is all about creating intentionally. And then the science is discovering through experience. And so the phases are meant to, it, it, they're actually kind of a, a um, embodied part um, expression of that. Like if we know that we want to get somewhere, let's like really be integrative in our approach and um, and like see what are the steps. Let's like see where we want to go and then backcast to get there. And so in that in that in the spirit of backcasting to get there, um, the period that we're in right now is, is all about reconciliation and commitment. Um, and we're like committing to this mission as a, as a part of it. Uh, so I just wanted to, to <laughs> double tap that just because you were speaking about reconciliation. Absolutely. And it's so visible in our society right now. Let's, 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 uh, triple tap that. <laughs> Let me ask you a question on it. Sure. So reconciliation and commitment, I think, you know, every single one of us has their own way of how they're experiencing that right now. And then we see how as a collective, we're, we're experiencing that as well. Now the question for you, Roxy, is, you know, that being the context, what do you think it actually takes for humanity at a large to learn from past mistakes? What does it take to learn from past mistakes? Uh, it takes, in, you know, one thing that I see is very much missing in our culture is uh, our capacity to integrate. And uh, it's just not currently as um, present in our process because we're just like, let's keep going, at least in America, right? Like I'm Colombian and Iranian, born and raised in America. And uh, this place, and I know it's also very present in much of the world, is, is all about like progress, obsession with progress and moving and bigger and more. And I think to really learn from our mistakes or our mishaps or the steps along the way, we have to have integrated into that progress and, and forward movement, um, a, a process for refining and reviewing and kind of integrating our lessons. Otherwise they're this sort of like passive subconscious thing that we like kind of do, but we kind of don't, we just like keep going. And so this like retroactive like gratitude for our failures as, as like fertile ground for seeing how we can do better and what we've learned is, is I think it incredibly integral and primarily missing from the way that we relate. And that I think is part of why, you know, this period is all about um, what understanding what our root causes of this interconnected price, uh, crisis are. Um, at the same time as kind of making these, these commitments, um, even, although we don't know the whole path how to get there. Uh, and so I think as, as we identify some of these root causes um, to learn and move forward, we see that we're you know, separated from nature. There's, there's like such a narrow focus and reductionism. Um, we avoid kind of this inner work. There's like a myopic thinking around our like quarterly profits. And like, we're just so deeply embedded in the way that like colonialization and othering is embedded um, in the way that we operate, whether we recognize it or not. And the sort of scarcity mentality um, breeds more selfishness when really we could live in a space of like abundance of understanding we have more than enough for everyone. We could be in a space of generosity and knowing that if I win, you win, if you win and I don't quote unquote win, I still win because you are thriving. 
and through like understanding our, you know, a deeper coherence around our diversity and inclusion, setting reparations, taking the long view, attending to the trauma that is so precious inside of us and so important to slow down and regenerate our own relationships with ourselves. Then we see ourselves in a larger system context. We can build different governance models and have a reverence for the interdependence that fuels life and then move. But like there's a, it's sort of missing and a lot of the way that we approach. So I think that's part of why this like first phase that we're in is all about reconciling and being okay with that so that we can move forward. Yeah, thank you for that answer. I really, I really appreciate just hearing, you know, hearing and letting that drop in. I think commitment and this phase we're in with commitment, for me, there's a different perspective that comes up. It's not just about what are the commitments that are coming out of this current phase. It's also we're currently seeing, you know, I, I would agree that there's a big we as humanity, but then there's seven to eight billion different lenses of what this big we is experiencing. And so many people are just showing what they're committed to very clearly in this time. So if you're com committed to a political farce, and trying to sol solve everything through politics and economics, your commitment will be very obvious. If you're committed to keep, you know, dying industries alive through subsidies, that commitment is becoming blatantly obvious in our information age. And so because some of those commitments are so, um, you know, um, well, they're simply not aligned with everyone thriving on the planet. I think those of us who see okay, maybe the old guard or some of the, the political and governmental bodies are still committing to this, like, these, these, these empty promises that, you know, our commitment on the other side, on the artistic, philanthropic, uh, social, entrepreneurial, regenerative, integrated, inclusive, um, let's just call it an agenda, you know, um, our, our agenda actually needs us to, to commit stronger and clearer and step up because otherwise we'll continue to leave the floor for people that are committed to, you know, maybe a world that isn't uh, one in which everyone thrives. Like one of the things that always has boggled my mind and I'm, I'm curious to hear about, about that from your perspective is how we could truly tell ourselves that we don't have enough food and enough things for everyone on this planet, that we're suffering from overpopulation. It never quite made sense in my mind because so clearly the planet is providing everything all the time we just need to learn to connect with that you know a cycle of abundance if it's from um seed to tree to fruit to seed and then coming back to the seed or if it is um through sharing right um and and really helping each other or if it's simply overcoming pesticides and understanding that you know we went wrong there for quite a few decades i'm curious for for your reflection on that roxy because i think commitment really means a lot of different things in that context. Yeah, I think something happens when we slow down to say like, okay, if, I, if I'm really committed to this, are my actions in alignment with that? Is the work that I'm doing in alignment with that? And is what I'm standing for in alignment with that? And, and that's, that separation is still evident because we're in a process of transformation. Um, we actually have an upcoming artist salon and we just landed on the name of it, which I bring up because it's so relevant to this. It's called Dissolve and Bloom. And so the next salon will be, it's like thinking about like, how do we dissolve from our illusion of separation and like kind of, and, and thinking about fungal blooms and actual blooms of flowers or whatever it is or like the sprouts of like what comes from this compost. And I think like there's compost in the process of commitment to refine over. And there are, there are current commitments that are just not seeing the full picture. Um, and, some, and some people who do, right? They see the full picture, they understand, and yet they, they stand where they stand um, for whatever reasons. But often it's a, I, and this is my own personal, um, opinion, and I know that it is likely not perfect and not complete, but it's, it's, I feel like if people could see that they can still be in this abundant, successful, thriving place and do work that supports that, then they would not be so attached to their old ways of working and being 
because they knew that they would be safe. And this comes back to trust and this comes back to safety and this comes back to stability because at our core, we're, we're so anxious, interconnected. You know? yeah. And we're like, we're, we're like, need to know that we can take care of our families or ourselves or our communities. And if we know, and we feel stable and strong that like, if we're running this oil company and that's kept my family safe for this coal industry for hundreds of years. And they are ignoring the fact that like, for the, you know, the coal, I'm from Tennessee and like mountaintop removal is just very, very, very still alive and well there. Although it's shifting, but it's definitely not gone. And a lot of those, like I got really close to seeing the people who were in charge of these mountaintop removal coal mining um, industries. And then the communities that lived at the bases of these mountains who were dying of cancer and poisoned children and their water running out of their faucets was yellow and orange and gray because of the way that, and that, and those, the people who understood that, they were like, yes, but it's providing power to all these people. And my, my families and communities are well, and they could just move. But those people don't have the privilege to move. They're being poisoned and they barely have anything and they're sick on top of it and everything else. And so it's like that like sort of commitment cycle is confused because those people are like, I'm committed to where I live. I feel safe in this place. But although I'm being poisoned and I'm, I'm, meant, I'm meant to understand that my government, my people are looking after me when really like that's not their bottom line. And all of that can and could and will shift once we can create more visibility to the world that a different way is possible. And in order to kind of move into these possible futures, it's important to, to see them in, in some way. Mm. And I think that that's also part of what the studio does so beautifully is this commitment to supporting uh, a visioning and to transform this collective capacity and create this harmonic future, we must envision it. And, and by making the invisible visible, we can help propel and, 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 and speed up that process. And it's not always visual, right? Like what you're doing is auditory and that's an important set. It's like some people will just listen to this and that will be pivotal for them. Not this talk, maybe it will, and that would be great, but others also, I'm sure. Um, but just like these different avenues of, of like, of integrating a new vision and seeing and feeling and and not only seeing and feeling, but experiencing that that is possible is like so important and imperative. Like I get super fired up about the fact that like, yes, we have more than enough to feed everyone, yeah. but like our distribution systems are fucked and the, uh, their subsidies are where in corn when they should be in like proper distribution of, of the ample materials that we have to give the harvests of this beautiful earth to all people so they can feel safe and they can have what they need to be able to be privileged and create from a place of potential for their families and their future. And that's not impossible. And that is something we can do in our lifetime and we will. I really think that we can and we will. And we're yeah, I'm really there. there with you as well. And I, I, you know, I love your passion. Um, I know, I'm like, ah. with, with, that, with that question. <laughs> But th this is also why, you know, I love these conversations and, and I've, I'm committed to, you know, continue to interview epic people like yourselves um, and, you know, continue to dive deeper into what actually has us be upset and frustrated that then empowers us and that then, you know, really puts kind of the wind into our sail to say, you know what, I'm not going to stop until... Um, you know, regeneration is a normal modus operandi on this planet, or I'm not going to stop until we have a holistic vision for this planet. And we're, we're, we're realizing that we didn't really have like an axis mundi, like a central pillar on this planet, other than maybe profit and power. But, but at this point, we realize profit and power have um, done certain things for us, have harmed other pieces of ourselves but really there's only one path forward and that is us as one with nature, the way ancestral cultures and indigenous cultures have, you know, always known and have never forgotten. And, and, and so to relearn this as we're evolving into a high 
and technology culture that probably really soon won't even have cell phones anymore, but we'll just think it onto our screen, you know? Um, that's the challenge of our age. And that's, that's a challenge that I don't want anyone listening right now to, to feel like we're letting that just pass by us, you know? And so um, that's what drew me to the Design Science Studio and what you're doing with Hab Ritual and the Buckminster Fuller Institute knowing that there are so many people out there, like literally thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that are looking to apply themselves, that are looking to be, get active and build the world they believe in um, and not wait anymore until, you know, there's a next update from um, your cell phone, your government, your news station. And not to completely like, you know, talk about this in only negative ways. I think there's just like a lot of old agreements from old levels of consciousness on this planet that don't actually serve us in our true interconnection anymore. And so as we're witnessing this, now it's ours to kind of flip this on its head and recreate structures and, and systems. And my question for you, Roxy, um, and I'm, I wanna invite you to share whatever else you wanna share that comes up in this context. But my question is, if you were to drop in and maybe close your eyes for a second here with me and you were to drop in and say, what is the dream, the deep vision that's, you know, in your heart, in your visionary mind for this planet, I would call it like your holistic vision for this planet in a, in a, you know, multi-generational perspective. So if you were to say, I'm here to be an ancestor for the future, what's the dream inside of you that that you want to share with this world and you want to make sure it becomes real. I think I'm living it right now. Like this, this decade long mission that we're on with the studio feels so in alignment with like that which i've been like moving towards for so long and that vision really is supporting a transfer of of wealth to people to be able to feel resourced and supported and wealth in many ways right like frameworks community money um connection like a, a visibility in a system, knowledge, shared understanding, and like create being a bridge and a pathway to helping translate these interconnected web of solutions to empower creators of all kinds, you know, and that's like everything from a farmer to a data visualization scientist to a performer to you know the myriad of, of different transdisciplinary creators in the world and like really help them feel supported and resourced and connected to this broader movement and system and be able to help to share these visions of not only a possible future but a very probable one now to help support and aid in this transition forward for those future generations to be in harmony with nature, to work with technology in a way that is nourishing and is, is accentuating our potential as, as an interconnected species and a keystone species um, to help. And as a keystone species, we can, you know, like a beaver, like we have a huge impact on our environment, right? Um, and to like, help give people that safety, stability, and support that they need to feel like, you know what, I can do what's in my heart. If I focus on what I care about, there is a way to bring it forward and, and have a deep and lasting impact for the generations to come. And just because this seems easy now doesn't mean that I can't make something else easy too and create ease for others to choose a better path that is more connected and uplifting and understanding those like cascading benefits and all of the cycles ahead before and beyond that are affected and connected to each thing. And it's a lot, right? It's a lot to be constantly thinking about, but like creating a path of ease for that. Like it feels like, like my deepest heart song to really, really support and uplift a global community to be able to feel empowered and, and clear 
that they will and they do have the support that they need to be able to bring about a world that works for everyone. And, and like to get to be in that and like being one key part and of that and the founding visionary or one of the clear, the, the, the original founders of this, you know, it was primarily myself and Amanda and Faith started this whole thing. Um, but so much of it did, you know, the, at least the like art support part of it is so much like coming through and it's coming through me. Like, I will never say that this is mine. Like, this is just like, Gaia has like chosen me and it has been so much of my mission for so long because I care so much. Mm. And it is like my, my deepest desire is to like help give people that sense of safety and embodied understanding that this path forward is not only possible, but probable. And that everyone is needed and no one can be left behind in this process. No, no matter if the bridges that need to be built for, for coherence are with people who have such different perspectives on what matters. Understand, trying to create pathways to understand why there's so much division, what it is they care about and how they can see how they can be supported in what they care about through this transition as well, right? Like we just went through this crazy election. Thank goodness we're like in a transition now and now Biden's being president. Half of America chose another way. Why? Because that's how they feel. And like, they're still people and they still matter and we need them too. And so trying to create more pathways for building bridges and understanding and like moving people towards this future together that is not othering and separating, but is like patient and loving and nurturing and will move us there is like, is so important to me. And as an artist and a designer, and I, I say creative doula because right, like a midwife like helps you have the baby. The doula helps you have the baby. Like you can have the baby. This like, this is alive in you. And like, it is my greatest honor to support that coming to life in everyone. Um, and it's not easy and it's not gonna be perfect and it's gonna take time. And it's going to be fun. We're going to figure it out. <laughs> We're going to figure it out. I like that. And this is a great note to, you know, bring this, this interview to, you know, to, to land and, uh, you know, close our little first session here together, Roxy. I, you know, we and I talked about, and I want to share this in this episode. Um, there'll be a, a small series coming out of the Design Science Studio that I'm going to be hosting with Green Planet, Blue Planet and highlight some of the different artists and creators that are part of that cohort. Mm -hmm. Also to inspire all of you listening to apply in the future to, you know, the annually happening kind of evolution of um, what Roxy, Hap Ritual, the Buckminster Fuller Institute and the Design Science Studio are putting together and, you know, helping all of us to empower this time this time of regeneration this time of change this time of shift uh, on the planet and you know to hold hold each other up and also accountable to to not stop because this is i think one of the fundamental principles of embracing change and embracing that which is emergent is to really give it a, a real shot and to to not stop once we're in this creative kind of rhythm and uh, hold the dying systems accountable that it's actually time to pass, uh, you know, the baton um, of, of power, of money, of influence to, you know, what you're, what you're saying, like what we're collectively giving birth to and what, you know, birth, birth doulas like yourself, creative doulas like yourself are um, helping bring into a collective cultural stream, maybe, maybe all the way to mainstream uh, into a shared reality that allows all people and non-people to thrive on this planet. Yeah. And I think um, to, to sort of prep for like the future conversations, it would be helpful for me to share just like a last little tidbit about um, the, the like structure, right? That's inside of, of the, the studio to really scaffold and mentor and fund um, creators. And so we have this cohort of 144, which means uh, by 2030, we'll have over 2,500 projects stewarded into the world, ripples throughout the decade and millions of people reached. Um, and as, as mentioned before, right, the studio is, is a, a part of this mission, this global mission. And so we're, we're helping to connect projects 
to inspire millions of people to imagine a new way of being um, and connect with different strategic partners, different regenerative initiatives, public and private sector partnerships um, to engineer new visions of what's possible in partnership with these other stakeholders uh, that are along for the, that are on this mission with us. And so in this process of amplifying creative expression and connecting these initiatives and change makers um, and companies and create to creators to amplify their messages or birthing media that inspires this collective action. We're providing resources that um, foster storytelling for change uh, for different creative campaigns and for creators themselves. And the, 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 the building blocks of the studio are kind of this curriculum component, which is this like embodied education, building bridges for systemic understanding. The community layer where we have all of these creators connected as uh, so this global cohort, um, but also connected to partners in the movement for mutual support and collective action. And then really like showcasing uh, the work. So powerfully weaving, scaffolding, funding and launching this art that changes history. Uh, and there's so many incredible artists, you know, I'll, I'll highlight four and there's 144. So there's Brett who's building this ambitious infinite reality game. It's an evolving narrative called Together Land that will involve thousands of players and change the way they perceive the world that we live in. Um, Gina and Maxi are creating this Temple for Water, which is a fully interactive audiovisual museum about our mother element. And it's like built in this massive like nautilus shell and it's meant to move um, and really connect people to themselves, their relationship with water. The fact that we are mostly water that like you know, the water that is within us is as old as the dinosaurs. It's like really their, their work is really beautiful. And then, you know, there's this artist is Umair who's from Pakistan. He's an, he's an artist and an educator. Um, and he is, he, he is a, a deep lover of living systems and is constantly looking at like how our natural systems and biophilic design are, should be and are and can be blueprints for the way that we operate in this world. And along with the many other things he's doing, he's publishing this book with 50 lessons that he learned from an ancient tree. When he went to this ritual with this small tribe and sat around this tree for two days and, and like downloaded all of these lessons. And so he wrote these delicate illustrations of the advanced technology inside of the branches and the leaves of the trees that are messages for the way that we operate. Um, Amy's creating this immersive installation to get people to kind of test experience simulations of the better worlds upon her spaceship. And so. There's different interactive systems and thinking toolkits, governance systems, blueprints for eco-villages, protest music. I mean, it's four, that's four of 144 visions. And so where we are in this timeline right now is that we're in the first cohort. We're in this like developmental period where we're giving resources and curriculum and um, giving feedback and connecting, really weaving the webs of partnership. Uh, for the studio. And we're working towards a unified launch in March of, of all of the first projects that are connected through um, an overarching narrative. Uh, and so all the projects kind of lead into each other and become doors and pathways for organizations, initiatives, um, and individuals who are, who are leading this work in the world. And, and also sometimes unlikely leaders, right? Like some people who may not see themselves as leaders, but they're like in the trenches, planting a trillion trees in a remote part of the earth. And, and they can be highlighted as, as a leader because they are as they should be. And so we're, we're highlighting both um, present leaders and, and leaders that, that um, need to be kind of, um, brought more to the forefront through this process and the leadership in all of these creators. Um, and then, you know, we'll continue to rebounce this campaign and, and start a new cohort and take the cohort that's current and, you know, the ones who want to keep moving into an alumni program and the ones who need more funding into a catalyst program to support and accelerate their work. So really excited for the, this legacy that we can leave and we're working our best to act quickly um, to support these like strengthening these partnerships with institutions and funds and individuals who are committing to transferring wealth of all kinds to move resources towards the regeneration of our planet. And we're so honored to be stewards of the visions of all of these creators and uh, expect to, to raise a good amount of money every year to achieve this mission and to support all of their missions. So we are so, so excited um, and humbled every day. And uh, it's just this honing beacon that we sent out to say who 
would like to collaborate on this um, was very well received. And we had hundreds and hundreds of applicants and it was hard to pick this first cohort. And, um, and we know that we can't do it without all of the people. We're not trying to be the like top of the chain by any means. We're trying to create a system that can support itself. And so Julian, it's been so wonderful to have you as one of the captains of the pods of, of, of 12. Um, along with Seth Bunting, who I know came to another recent podcast. Uh, and, you know, that like ongoing leadership and support for the different projects and their very different stages of development is so important. And where the vision, long vision is like, how do we have, you know, chapters of this? How do we create blueprints so that individuals in their communities around the world can lead these programs on their own um, so that we can be a mycelial network of support? And, um, and so we're, we're, we're on the way one step at a time. Um, yeah, one step at a time is not too difficult. That's that just leaves us to do one step at a time. I love the work you're doing, Roxy. I'm so glad we got the chance to speak one-on-one uh, -on -one in this episode and you got to share a bit, quite a bit more about the Design Science Studio. Um, as I said, there will be a, a micro series coming up on Green Planet, Blue Planet. And also I encourage anyone and everyone listening who is really curious about that, to you know look to apply for the next cohort from my experience so far i can say it's truly a co-creative um, experience and i think that's what makes it even more exciting so thank you so much roxy for your time thanks for your insights for some reflections and answers on you know trust and capacity building and what we're dreaming for the future and and how that all makes sense in the context of now thank you julian it's been my pleasure